0: This is The Guardian.
1: Today, allegations of killings by guards on one of the biggest pineapple farms in the world.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
1: Before we start, a quick warning. This episode contains descriptions of violence.
3: tell me what
4: you remember of that
1: night?
3: So I'm speaking through a translator to a man I met near the town of Thika, which is about an hour northeast of Nairobi.
1: Emily Degan is a senior reporter with The Guardian, and for the past few months she's been working on a story with the Bureau of Investigative Journalism.
3: So one night in August last year, he was doing something that a lot of men in the area do. He was going to steal pineapples from a huge farm that dominates the local area.
4: So they went to the farm at around 10pm and they managed to get the first harvest.
3: In groups at night, men make their way into the plantation and they harvest pineapples, carry them off in sacks and then go and sell them on the highways. In his group that night was a 22-year-old man called Stephen Thuo nyoiki and after a successful first haul, they then decided they were gonna try again for a second time and made their way back to the farm.
4: And as they were on their way out, they had a loud bang. So they dropped the cargo and everybody ran their way. But Duo was the last in the group. He looked back, saw the guards with torches, so they ran their way, then the guards there is a voice, there is a horse voice that they make.
3: So when they heard the guards, the men ran. And then Stephen's friend claims that he went and hid in a bush. And he says he saw Del Monte guards um, in green uniforms, beating Stephen with long wooden clubs called rungus. So the way he describes it is that after around half an hour of beating, Stephen just stopped shouting and his motionless body was carried into the back of the guard's land cruiser.
4: So he says he saw them took the body and put it inside the vehicle. And they went towards the
2: highway.
3: The next day, Stephen's body was found dumped face down by the highway. His forehead had been caved in, and his throat had been strangled with a wire. The man in Steven's group has never spoken out publicly before about what he said happened that night. And when we asked him why, he said he was just too afraid to go to the police, because he'd been stealing himself and he worried about the repercussions. If
4: you go and report to the police, you'll be arrested immediately.
1: plantation, where witnesses say they last saw Stephen Thuo gnocchi alive, is owned by the food giant Del Monte, one of the biggest food conglomerates in the world, whose red and yellow logo might be on labels in your kitchen right now. The farm exports tinned pineapple across the world, and it's a target for theft by locals. That's why the guards are armed with wooden clubs, which are legal and common in Kenya. And it's why they're on the watch for thieves. But a new investigation has uncovered claims from villagers of violence and even killings allegedly linked to those guards, allegations that Del Monte says are extremely serious and which the company is now urgently investigating. From The Guardian, I'm Michael Safi. Today in Focus, the Del Monte farm and the guards accused of killings.
3: So Edwin, where are we now? Now we are on the
4: main highway between Thika town and Kabati. And this is where most of the Del Monte farms are, are situated, just along the road. You can see there's bushes, are pineapples,
1: the bushes,
4: there's pineapples.
1: Emily, you recently came back from Thika, a town in Kenya. Tell me about it. What kind of town is it?
3: Well, yeah, it's just if you drive around an hour northeast going out of Nairobi, you get to Thika and it's like the town is totally dominated by Del Monte. So first of all, you start seeing the kind of Del Monte signs, you know, those kind of bright red, white and yellow signs. And they've got like an official shop selling produce. And then after that, you suddenly start seeing the farmland and it's pineapple plants. I mean, as far as you can see in this kind of lush green vegetation and very deep red soil and i went there recently with edwin okoth who's a kenyan reporter who'd been looking into the farm for the bureau and was showing me around
4: the farms are always occupied in one way or the other so there's no season for the pineapples one side is planting season the other side is weeding the other side is harvesting and so it's it's all year round kind of harvesting going on
3: so although you've got this vast developed farm sending pineapples around the world. Fika itself has a lot of poverty. I mean, you see people who don't appear to have any work to do, who are kind of struggling to make ends meet. Um, And that's all going on alongside this enormous farm.
1: And when you say the farm is enormous, what are we talking here? How big is it?
3: It really is massive, right? We know that it's at least 40 square kilometers, which is, if you think about that, it's it's the size of a small city. Um, it covers two counties, uh, four parliamentary constituencies. And for the people living around it, that means it can just feel a part of their lived environment. So it's like there are villages and towns and, and people have to travel through the farm to get to where they live. Um, and that, so there are kind of public roads going through it. You have know, even got a police station situated uh, on the farm next to a public road. You've got schools, medical centres. I mean, it's, yeah, the infrastructure within it is is
1: massive. I mean, this doesn't sound like a farm. It sounds like it's its own kind of city.
3: Yeah, it's interesting. And, and you know, you'll be in a little village nearby and you'll suddenly realise that this road you're driving through is actually driving through the plantation itself and and you know pineapple plants are, are low to the ground so at times it can it, it it can kind of almost blend in with the with the ordinary landscape
1: and tell me about del monte itself what kind of company is it and how important is this pineapple farm to the kenyan economy
3: so del monte is a colossal multinational corporation i mean the brand has recognition all over the world if you walk into a supermarket today the chances are you're going to see Del Monte pineapple. It takes well over a year for a pineapple to reach perfect ripeness.
2: The man from Del Monte knows that moment.
3: For Kenya, it has a specific significance because as well as a pineapple plantation, there's actually a a cannery factory on site. And those tins of pineapples are getting sent across the world, which makes... Del Monte, Kenya, the single largest exporter of Kenyan produce to the world. Wow. It really is on a massive scale.
1: Okay, that's a lot of pineapple. Does this farm employ a lot of people?
3: Yeah, it's estimated to employ around 6,000 people. And among them are 237 security guards that are directly employed by Del Monte patrolling this massive area. Say just ahead of us, we can see yeah, yeah, okay, a, a Del Monte security van. It looks a bit like a military van. They've got like dark green uniforms and a yeah, Del Monte yeah, branded cap. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
4: They, the branding they are escorting a lorry carrying high-grade export pineapple, so they have to escort it. So they are keeping not very close distance, but at least they are they are always around the truck.
3: is a big yellow truck ahead. Oh, yeah, you could just see the pineapple sticking out the edge of
1: it. Emily, when did you start to hear claims of disturbing things happening on or around this farm?
3: I'd actually been investigating allegations of violence at a nearby avocado farm back in 2020. Hmm. And that's when I first heard rumours alleging that there were human rights concerns at Del Monte's farm. But at the time, I was kind of preoccupied with avocados and... um, Earlier this year, Edwin started hearing allegations about deaths at the farm. Uh, And then Edwin contacted Matthew Chapman, who's a journalist at the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. Uh, And the Bureau then contacted me and asked if I'd be interested in collaborating and investigating further with them.
1: Emily. Tell me about this pineapple theft. It sounds like it's a pretty widespread practice.
3: So on the main road that passes by the farm, whenever you get to a a little town on that road, it doesn't take long to see pineapples for sale on the side of the road. And apart from the official Del Monte shop, there isn't really fresh pineapple sold locally. Hmm. So generally, if you see a pineapple for sale on the roadside, you can be pretty sure that they're taken from Del Monte.
1: And so... Is that hard to do? Is it hard to steal pineapples from this farm?
3: In some ways, it's not as hard as you'd think. Given the scale of the farm, part of me was expecting to find, you know, high fences and razor wire. But you know, you go along the main road, and the pineapple plants are right there. There's no, there doesn't appear to be any fence at all, and so the temptation to go in is is really high. Hmm. When you have a farm that's this big and it's exporting produce around the world, there'll always be people who. Especially in an area you know like the where there is a, you know a lot of poverty, there will be people who feel it's kind of a victimless crime. They can grab a few pineapples and and sell them on and make a little bit of money. Um, and there are signs of that all around. You know, if you drive on the main road past the farm, you can see little groups of people selling pineapples, um, and you also sometimes see guys on motorbikes carrying sacks of pineapples that don't look like the official Del Monte trucks, <laughs> um, and the men were pretty open about how regularly they did this. You know, they told me that they were basically trying to steal pineapples every other day. And most of them had families that they were trying to support. So can you tell me, why do you go to
4: the Del Monte to take pineapple? Monte. So they say they go to the farm, mostly because of poverty. They, they have they have no job to do around Their parents are you so unemployment is the main issue mm-hmm. and with unemployment comes the poverty
3: you know i was quite shocked to hear that one of the men i was speaking to said that he started stealing pineapples when he was only 8 years old
1: wow
3: he would walk into the farm take a handful of pineapples and then sell them by the road for about 30 p each
1: he
4: says, when they were kids, you only go pick like three pineapples, you come sell and get your, get to buy yourself some food. Yeah. The children from the family families, he says, they don't steal. So the main driving force is unemployment.
3: So of course, while there will be people who just steal one or two, there are groups of men, mostly young men in the area, who do go on organised raids, and they'll. Mm. You know, come together in a group on motorbikes, drive to the farm. They'll try and fill their sacks as fast as they can with pineapples, and then uh, send a message to get the motorbikes to pick them up and drive them out again. You know, it is relatively organised. And
1: how big a problem is this kind of theft for Del Monte?
3: Well, in terms of its effect on the bottom line, it's hard to tell the scale of it. But certainly, the issue of theft is is massive for them and for other farms in the area.
1: And you said that there were more than 230 guards operating on this farm. What are they supposed to do if if they catch people stealing pineapples? How are they, they meant to deal with thieves?
3: Well, if Del Monte security guards find a pineapple thief, they're allowed to apprehend them and take them to the police. And for the process of doing that, they're also allowed to be armed with wooden clubs called rungus, which are like these big, long wooden staffs. and. We do know that at times um, there can be violence from thieves too. We, we've heard reports of pineapple thieves going in and throwing rocks at the guards, and a local police source I spoke to told us that one of the guards had lost an eye. So look, there's definitely tension, and there definitely are reasons why Del Montes security guards might feel on high alert, for example, when a you know if pineapple thieves came in.
1: So what's meant to happen is thieves are meant to be taken to the police. But, Emily, it sounds like that isn't the way it always goes. Tell us more about Stephen Thuo-Nyoiki, the man who was allegedly killed after stealing from the farm. How did you go about investigating what had happened to him?
3: Well, I went to visit Stephen's family home to find out a bit more about him. It's a small place in Makenji. Um, it's got really dark red walls and it's very dark inside. And I spoke with Stephen's mother, Grace. Grace, do.
4: Grace.
3: And from the moment I met her, you could really feel the grief that was weighing on her. You know, she was desperate to find answers of what had happened
1: to her son.
4: It has been very painful for her. She always has sleepless nights. She is always house in the house, sometimes while alone crying, and it has really been being difficult for her to endure this.
3: So, in Kikuyu tradition, you bury the body within your homeland. So, just behind their house, at the bottom of their garden under some banana trees is where Stephen's buried. But Grace has been unable to go there at all. She won't even tend to the vegetables she's growing in the garden there. She sends someone else to do it because even just standing near his graveside is kind of unbearable for her. It prompts these memories that she's just trying to block out. You know, you've got to remember this was only last August and they still don't have any answers. Mm. And so I asked her to tell me a bit more about Stephen and Her memory of him was that he was this kind and thoughtful son who would do anything for her. He would help around the house, he would do the cooking and he would work in the garden. And, you know, the whole family had a lot of hope that they placed on Stephen because he had one year left on this welding course, he was kind of an apprentice welder. And, you know, they don't have much money and they really hoped that, you know, once he'd done that, that he might be able to help lift them out of poverty I mean Kabati is a pretty tough place to live and he promised his mum that once he was on his feet and established himself as a welder that he'd build her a new house but it seems as though Stephen had been joining many of the other local men and stealing pineapples from Del Monte to support his income
1: Emily What did Grace tell you about the day that she found out that Stephen had died?
3: Well, she really struggled to talk about it. You know, you could really tell it was hard for her. But she she told me that that night he hadn't come home and in the morning she got this call.
4: One of the boys who were with Stephen called her and told her to come to the main road where the body was but didn't tell her what exactly she was coming to do. But she had a sense that something was really bad. And she concluded that you're calling me because my son is dead. Mm -hmm. And she didn't even go to the scene. She just fainted and ended up in the
1: hospital. And you spoke to Stephen's father, Joel. What did he say?
3: Yeah, he said pretty bluntly that he believes the Del Monte Guards simply don't value the lives of local people.
4: No 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 no. They don't have value for for life. What they value most is the pineapple.
1: Did they try to go to the police and see if if they could look into what had happened?
3: Yeah, I mean after Stephen's body was found, I asked Joel how the police responded.
1: So he says uh once he reported
4: to the police. They came to the scene, uh, took pictures, did all the analysis. And uh, once they dropped the body at the mock, that's it.
3: So I walked with Joel out into the garden to go and see Stephen's grave. It's just a small wooden cross underneath some banana trees. And on the gravestone, it has Stephen's name with the dates of his birth and death kind of marked as sunrise and sunset, which is the Kikuyu tradition. And standing there by Stephen's grave with his family, he just had this real sense of the scale of the loss that they'd suffered.
1: Coming up, more questions about the actions of guards on the Del Monte farm the company's processes and due diligence, and the legal firm trying to get answers.
2: Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music where all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com/slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
0: Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash today in focus today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, slash today in focus.
1: Emily, we've been hearing about Stephen Thwo Nyoki, whose body was found last August on a road running alongside a Del Monte farm in Kenya. A post-mortem showed his cause of death included a head injury due to blunt force trauma to the head, and whose case is seemingly of little interest to the local police. But Stephen's killing isn't the only one that you and your team have been looking into, is it?
3: No, it's not. We've looked in depth into three deaths that have happened in the last four years. One of them is Bernard Marigi Wanginye, And he was suspected of being beaten to death by Del Monte security guards back in 2019. So in Bernard's case, his father Gilbert was so determined to get justice that he decided to take the case all the way to the inspector general in Nairobi, the country's most senior police officer, because He was just determined to see that something was done for his son. And since his death in 2019, five Del Monte guards uh, were arrested on suspicion of murder that summer, and they were immediately sacked by Del Monte. And the thing is, they're still in custody. They all pleaded not guilty. But four years on, there's still been no trial. Do you feel justice is being done for Bernard?
4: No. No justice at all for Bernard.
1: Emily, that case just sounds appalling, but there are others too. Tell me about them. So
3: another case we looked at is a guy called John Rui Carrier. Uh, he was 52, and despite that not being that old, uh, he was kind of described by quite a few people as an old older man. And in his case... The people we spoke to said that he was just resting by the roadside last December when uh, guards allegedly just seized him and attacked him God and started beating him. And what people said is that he was literally just sleeping there where he sold, he used to sell grass to passers-by, like long grass. It's the kind of grass that people use to feed their cattle. mm and we went to the place where we'd heard that Rui had been attacked. Uh, and it didn't take long to find people who said they saw what happened that night.
4: Rui started screaming. yeah, uh, And then, yeah. when he had that, he ran away. Yeah. And then he had them being lo- loaded into the yeah. And then they stepped <laughs> on. They were being stepped on when they were already inside the car.
3: They were being stamped on in the car?
4: Yeah, like, yeah
3: John Rui Carrier was convicted of pineapple theft and then a week later he died on the 28th of December having collapsed in the prison. The pathology report gives the cause of death as head injury due to multiple blunt force trauma to the head with abdominal and multiple soft tissue injuries. So what we know is that a week after John was with Del Monte Guards he died of injuries caused by blunt force trauma.
1: These allegations that you heard, were they just of killings or were there other crimes that were also being alleged?
3: Yeah, we also heard about um, people alleging assaults by guards that ended in you know, serious injuries. So back in 2021, there was an incident where a minibus carrying 14 people home from a, a dowry party, which... You know, it's a big family party where the two families get together and all dressed in their best party clothes. And these 14 people on a minibus had stopped on a road through the farm. I spoke to three of the passengers on that minibus. And they described how their driver had stopped to mend a headlight on a road that passes through the farm. And the passengers had got off and some of them had used the toilet. And then suddenly they said guards emerged from the field and started beating them with rungus, these big wooden clubs. So they described the guards hitting people in the group so hard that one man told us about how they broke his leg. And, you know, they said all the adults on board were beaten and that they only stopped when they carried on screaming that they weren't thieves.
1: Emily, these allegations that you've gone through are just shocking. Is anything being done about it?
3: So the British law firm Day have actually picked up on this. They've recently sent a legal letter uh, on behalf of 134 people kind of living around the farm, alleging serious harm at the hands of the guards employed by Del Monte. And so what has
1: Del Monte said in response to these allegations?
3: We spoke to Del Monte about these allegations um, and they came back with a response saying, we take these allegations extremely seriously and have instituted a full and urgent investigation into them. We're committed to constant improvements in the way we operate to adhere to the highest international rights standards in all our businesses. It's also understood that Del Monte says it's planned or implemented improvements into its security, including updated radio communication systems training guards in new formal rules of engagement and enhancing formal processes around allegations of violence.
1: What do you think that justice could look like for these families?
3: I think for a lot of families, what they'd like is to see the justice system actually addressing this. So to see in the case of Stephen Thuonjoki's family, they, they, they say that the police really haven't looked into this properly. And certainly... There have been no arrests in connection with his death that we're aware of. So some of this is about the Kenyan justice system actually addressing what's happened.
4: To ensure that uh, there is justice, he says he would like to get those who killed the boy and action taken against them.
1: What about Kenyan human rights groups, civil society? Like, are these cases on their radar?
3: So since we published the articles... Kenya's National Human Rights Body has actually come out and said it's launching an investigation into the allegations.
1: These allegations will shock a lot of people, including those who stock Del Monte products from this farm in Kenya. How have supermarkets responded to your investigation?
3: Well, Tesco came back and said it had suspended orders on all products sourced from the farm until an investigation was concluded. And... The British Retail Consortium, which represents most British supermarkets, said that they welcomed Del Monte's investigation into the appalling allegations uh, to delve deeper into the broader context of the crimes and their commitment to constantly improving their working practices. They also said that protecting the welfare of workers and respecting communities in supply chains was fundamental to their members' sourcing practices and that any practices falling short of their high standards should were not tolerated.
1: You told me that you first heard about this story when you were covering alleged abuses on another farm, one that grew avocados. After everything you've heard about the claims in this case, in Thika, do these kinds of stories still shock you?
3: Yeah, I think I'd be inhuman if I wasn't shocked by some of the allegations I heard while I was out there. And also just, I mean, if you think of the raw grief of some of the families... Um, Thinking of Stephen's parents particularly, you, you can't fail to be moved by that. And I also think, you know, we take it for granted that we can buy pretty much whatever we want from around the world in the supermarket, but maybe we don't pause to think about where it's come from and the circumstances beyond just, you know, what are the conditions for workers on any particular farm, but also what's it like for the people living around it.
1: Emily, thank you very much. Thank you. That was Emily Dugan, whose stories about the guards at Del Monte's pineapple farm accused of killings. You can read at theguardian.com. Thank you also to Edwin Okoth and Matthew Chapman of the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. In a statement, Del Monte said, We welcome the interest from the Kenya National Commission on Human Rights and share their deep concern at the allegations which have been made and the belief they need to be investigated rapidly and fully. This is what we at Fresh Del Monte are doing together with an independent review by a specialist human rights consultancy. They went on, We note the commission appears to accept the allegations made by The Guardian are all completely true. Unfortunately, The Guardian has provided us with neither sufficient information nor time for us to properly either verify or refute them at this stage. However, we do know a number of allegations that The Guardian made to Fresh Del Monte are unverified and perhaps incorrect. They added, We care deeply about the communities in which we operate and all of our employees. On this basis, we are wholly committed to adhering to the highest international human rights standards in all our businesses and cooperating with investigations already underway. And that is it for today. This episode was produced by Eli Block and Courtney Youssef. Sound design was by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. And we'll be back tomorrow.